morning. I understand that John and Carol Maggie are here. Is that right? It's been a long, long time. Good to have you guys back. May the Lord bless you. John, yeah. John's been through a, a lot of health difficulties these days, and he's told me many, many times, one of these times I'm going to make it back to church, and so today's the day. Awesome. And uh, Deb prayed, uh, uh, acknowledging the, our youth group from our Decatur, Illinois, Church of the Nazarene here for a ski trip, and their youth pastor, Ben Alexander, is here. Would you guys stand? You guys stand up. Great to have you here. You're lucky. You know that, don't you? You're lucky to get Ben. I'm going to say. You were, expect, you were expecting something after that. No, that's all I'm going to say. Just leave it right there. So we're in the third week of our series called The Journey. The first week, two weeks ago, uh, we had a great celebration service celebrating our 60th anniversary as a church. Pastor Bob was here and reminded us that God calls us on this journey corporately. Uh, 1957 in the home of Fred and Pearl Hawks down on Cox Road and individually God calls us to walk with him and to fulfill his purposes in our lives. Bob talked about just as Moses was called by God in that burning bush experience to rescue the people from Egyptian bondage, he calls us. Last week, Alex kind of walked us through the story of, of Exodus and just showed us time and time and time again how God provided for his people in so many different ways. What a great faith-building message that was. So today, I'm going to talk about kind of the other side of that coin. I'm going to ask the question, what is our part in this deal? What does God really want from us? I've asked that question a fair number of times in my 37 years of ministry, and often I just get blank stares and shrugs. So if I were to ask you that question, what does God really want from you, what would you say? A lot of good answers. Well, I think if you walk with me these next few minutes through the book of Exodus, I think it's going to be abundantly clear the answer to that question. So, you ready to dive in with me? All right, here we go. So we start in chapter three of Exodus. Bob talked about this, God's call in Moses. And the only point I wanna make is I wanna bring up one thing that God said to Moses in this burning bush encounter that's gonna tell us our answer right away. It's uh, Exodus chapter three, verse 12. And God said, I will be with you and this will be the sign to you that it is I who have sent you. When you have brought the people out of Egypt, you will worship God on this mountain. 
So God tells Moses, I'm going to send you, I'm going to help you to bring them out of Egypt so that you will worship me. That's the answer to the question. You're going to hear that over and over and over again. God wants our worship. So Moses goes down to Egypt. He confronts Pharaoh, says, let our people go so that we can worship our God. And Pharaoh says, well, evidently, if you are so intent on worshiping your God, that must mean you don't have enough work to do. So he upped their quota and he lowered their resources and it got really bad for the people. And Bob talked about that a couple of weeks ago. And so Moses said, okay, if you want to play hardball with God, here we go. And then the 10 plagues happen, unless you're reading the Alex version, which would be 12 plagues. <laughs> he gave me permission to say that, by the way. <laughs> and if you weren't here last week, just let it go. It's okay. So finally, Pharaoh says, okay. After the 10th plague, he said, I'm done, I surrender, wave the white flag, uncle, just go. Get out of here, go worship your God. I'm, I've had enough calamity because of your God. So Moses assembles the people and they head toward the promised land. Last week, Alex talked about when they got to the Red Sea, this miraculous deliverance from God, how he parted the water, and they walked on dry ground across the Red Sea. Meanwhile, Moses had changed his, or uh, the Pharaoh had changed his mind and sent the army after them to get his cheap labor back. And they pursued them and were on their heels. And they went across the Red Sea and the waves crashed in. And God provided this miraculous deliverance. So it's in chapter 15 that we see the response of the people to what God has done. Let's look at that, a few verses of that. Then Moses and the Israelites sang this song to the Lord. I will sing to the Lord for he is highly exalted, both the horse and driver he is hurled into the sea. The Lord is my strength and my defense. He has become my salvation. He is my God, and I will praise him, my Father's God, and I will exalt him. And there's 19 more verses of this same kind of exuberant praise. They have this huge worship service where they say, wow, yay, God, you are awesome. And that is the appropriate response when God delivers us, when he saves us, when he takes care of us, to just kind of step back and say, wow, God, you are awesome. We love you. Thank you for all that you've done and all that you're going to do. We worship you. Next, we'll pick it up when they make it to the foot of Mount Sinai, which is chapter 20. God calls Moses up to the top of the mountain. 
And while he's there, he gives them the Ten Commandments. And he says, among other things, I am the God who created you, who fashioned you. I am the God that liberated you. I want your worship. I'm jealous for your worship. I don't want you to serve any other gods that you can make with your hands or your minds. No idols. I want your worship. And then for the next three chapters, chapters 20 through 23, God gives, a, gives Moses instruction about how free people live in community. Very practical stuff about issues like justice and caring for the needy and money management and social issues. You see, worship is attached to all of that. Worship is so much bigger than what we do here on Sunday mornings. Worship is about all of our lives. It's about everything we do. Worship is the offering of our lives to God. If you want a definition, that's a good one. Worship is offering our lives to God. Worship is Norma Davenport singing in the choir with all her heart. And Norma has been doing that for 45 years. Worship is Mary Hardin courageously caring for her special needs 14-year-old son, Bryce. Worship is Doris Yinger and her team coming in on Tuesdays and pulling out all of the clothes and the food that are stuffed into that room right on the other side of that wall so that they can demonstrate to our community a very tangible expression of God's love. Worship is how Dennis Blankenship operates his business Menchie's yogurt shop just down the street on Tylersville Road, how he values his employees, how he treats his customers with kindness. Worship is uh, Hank Gurry refing upward basketball games. I was there a couple of weeks ago doing devotions. So he's got these little girls playing upward basketball. This one little girl's dribbling, dribbling. She stops. She looks around. She decides she wants to dribble some more. And uh, Hank blows the whistle. He goes over and he kind of leans down. And he says, um, you can't do that. That's called double dribble. And we're going to have to give the ball to the other team now. Worship is Jill Patrick and a lot of her friends who go to public school and live their lives for Jesus, even though it's not the most popular thing to do. Worship is my friend Annie battling her drug and alcohol addiction. And with the help of God, for the first time since she was a teenager, 
winning that battle. Yeah. Friends, that is worship. Wherever we are on our journey, whatever struggles, whatever issues, saying, God, I trust you. I'm going to follow you. I'm going to offer my life to you. All right, let's go back to the story. Next, Moses goes down the mountain, tells the people, okay, this is it. This is God's command. This is God's instructions. And the people hear Moses and they say, good deal. We'll do that. And so they enter into this covenant with God. Moses goes back up to the mountain again. And he must have been taking really good notes because chapters 25 through 31, seven chapters of Exodus are filled with instructions about how to worship God. Worship is a big deal to God. Meanwhile, back at the ranch, Let's check in on the people, chapter 32. Let's see what's going on. When the people saw that Moses was so long in coming down from the mountain, they gathered around Aaron and said, come, make us gods who will go before us. As for this fellow Moses who brought us up out of Egypt, we don't know what has happened to him. Aaron answered them. Take off the gold earrings that your wives, your sons, and your daughters are wearing and bring them to me. So all the people took off their earrings and brought them to Aaron. He took what they handed him and made it into an idol cast in the shape of a calf, fashioning it with a tool. Then they said, these are your gods, Israel, who brought you up out of Egypt. Point is, people will worship something. Something will get our attention. Something will drive us. We will live for something. And for these people, at this time, it's this golden calf. And if you know the story, you know it gets ugly at this point. God gets very angry. Let's read what God says. Then the Lord said to Moses, go down because your people who, whom you brought up out of Egypt have become corrupt. They have been quick to turn away from what I commanded them and have made themselves an idol cast in the shape of a calf. They have bowed down to it and sacrificed to it and have said, these are your gods, Israel who brought you up out of Egypt. I have seen these people, the Lord said to Moses, and they are a stiff-necked people. Now leave me alone so that my anger may burn against them and that I may destroy them. 
then I will make you into a great nation. Does it begin to weigh on you how serious God is about our worship of him? He's saying, they're done. Moses pleads with God, please, don't destroy them. Your reputation is at stake here, God. And so, Moses changes God's mind. Moses goes down, sees what's happening with his own eyes, is appalled, says to Aaron, what is going on? Aaron blames the people. Moses calls them together, and he says, whoever is for the Lord, have them come to me. And the text says that those in the tribe of Levi, the Levites, come out and stand in front of Moses. Moses says, take your swords, kill those who are worshiping the calf. And the Bible records that 3,000 people lost their lives that day at the hands of the Levites. Whoa. Can we do a timeout here? Is this God out of control? Is this God overreacting? Is this God overly jealous? I don't like this story. I wish this story wasn't in, my, in the Bible. This is one of those stories that somebody comes to you when you're a pastor and says, what about this? And I just say, I don't, I don't know. It, it's so gruesome and it's so cruel. I don't understand it. It makes me want to stand back from this God? My friend and Nazarene theologian, Dan Boone, who I served with on staff at Olivet College Church and is now president of Treveca Nazarene University, makes a comment about this scene. And I think his words are worth hearing. As strange as it seems to say, this may be one of the greatest demonstrations of love in all of history. God is willing to send a signal that is unmistakable. He will not stand by and let his people do that which enslaves them and destroys them and robs them of life without sending a signal in history that says, people hear this. I care about you 
you matter to me. Your hearts were made to worship me. I will not stand by and act like it doesn't matter to me that you create other gods and bow down to them. I am the only one that can set you free, that can give you true life, that can create authentic community. So as harsh as it, as it is, I hope today that you can see the point. God is very serious about our worship of him. Next, God calls Moses to assemble the people and head to the promised land, chapter 33. But Moses isn't so sure. Let's hear what Moses said. Then Moses said to him, if your presence does not go with us, do not send us up from here. How will anyone know that you are pleased with me and with your people unless you go with us? What else will distinguish me and your people from all the other people on the face of the earth? That's a pretty good mindset to have, isn't it? God, we don't even want to attempt this thing without you. We need you. We don't want to go on unless we know that you are going to go with us. That kind of dependence on God is hugely important for us. And listen what God says. And the Lord said to Moses, I will do the very thing you have asked because I am pleased with you and I know you by name. I love that last phrase. I know you by name. God knows me by name. He knows you by name. Every one of you. He knows you. He knows your story. He loves you. He wants to be with you. He wants to lead you into a blessed life. And he wants to use you to be a blessing to others. Well, Moses goes back up the mountain one more time. Chapters 35 through 40 are more instructions about, you guessed it, worship, how to worship God. And Moses comes back down the mountain and fulfills these instructions, builds the tabernacle, and the, the uh, book of Exodus ends with these verses. Then Moses set up the courtyard around the tabernacle and altar and put up the curtain at the entrance to the courtyard. And so Moses finished the work. Then the cloud covered the tent of meeting and the glory of the Lord filled the tabernacle. Moses could not enter the tent of meeting because the cloud had settled on it and the glory of the Lord filled the tabernacle. 
So I said we would answer the question, what does God really want from us? And the answer is, yes, you got it. Our worship. God wants to fill this tabernacle with his glory. He wants to be our God. He wants us to be his people. He wants our allegiance. He wants our total devotion. He wants our worship. Now the way that starts, the way to live that life of worship is first to be honest about the idols in our lives. I don't know what that could be for you. I don't know what an idol for you would be. Maybe for somebody here it's work, it's the drive to succeed in your career. Work is a wonderful gift from God. But if it's more important to you than God, then it's an idol. As wonderful as family is, if taking care of my family drives me more than God, it's an idol. I think in our culture, one of the big idols is comfortability, pleasure. Again, there's nothing wrong with us being comfortable and with us being happy, but if that is why you are living your life so that you can just be comfortable, it's an idol. Maybe for some of you it's worry. Instead of trusting God, you, you live your life with fear and anxiety. If you're not choosing to trust God, but instead if you're living in fear and anxiety, it's an idol. Some of you are allowing some addiction to control your life. For me, the thing that keeps knocking, tempting me in terms of an idol is the applause of people. That can be so toxic for me personally. Because instead of looking to God for approval, 
I look to you. And if you're patting me on the back and clapping your hands, that feels good. But that's not why I was created. Do you understand what I'm saying here? Nothing wrong with applause unless it takes the place of my worship of God. So I don't know what the idol could be for you. But as we take time to respond in this service, I'm just going to ask you the question. Do you have a golden calf in your life? You have an idol? Is there anything in your life that's more important than God? Living a life of worship starts at that place, to be honest, and to turn away from that and to turn toward Him. We're going to have a time of prayer. The worship team is going to come. They're going to lead us in a wonderful, wonderful prayer. Lord, I need you. Every hour, I need you. And while we sing this song, I wonder if maybe it would be a good thing for some of you, if the Holy Spirit is nudging you, to come forward and kneel at one of these altars. Maybe God the Holy Spirit is talking to you about an idol in your life. And you, you want to turn away from that, turn to him. You want to respond. Maybe just as a statement of worship to God, of offering your life to God, you just want to come forward and you just want to say, God, here I am. I'm all yours. Maybe you want to pray for someone else. But I want you to know that this altar is open. And after we finish singing the song, we're going to have a time of prayer. You can certainly pray right where you're at, but I think a lot of you, it might just be a good thing for you to respond in a tangible way by coming forward and kneeling at this place. So feel free to come as we sing. Yes.